This was the very first protest for donor-conceived rights. And I showed up with a custom-made costume of me in a sperm cup. Hello and a heartfelt welcome to all our listeners as we embark on Season 4 of the Family Twist podcast. I'm Kendall Austin Stulst, and my life's story is a tapestry of unexpected turns from being adopted as an infant to losing my adoptive parents by the time I was 17, and then in a twist of fate, finding my birth family through the magic of DNA testing in 2017. And I'm Corey Stoles, Kendall's partner on this life adventure. When we uncovered his paternal birth family's roots on the East Coast, I knew our next chapter was calling us there to mend the missing pieces of Kendall's heart with the love of newfound relatives. Our podcast began as a single thread, a narrative of my own, but it is woven into a vibrant quilt of stories celebrating the complexities of DNA surprises, adoption, donor conception, NPEs, surrogacy, and the myriad ways families come together. Together, we've been welcomed into an incredible community with each guest sharing their own family twist. And through it all, we found strength in each other. Thank you for letting us share our passion and these remarkable stories with you. The bonds we formed with you, our listeners, and the stories you've shared have only deepened our commitment to this journey. Family Twist isn't just a podcast. It's a celebration of the unexpected ties that bind us all. Thank you for joining us on this fantastic ride. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Laura High. We continue to uncover the layers of Laura's experiences as a donor-conceived individual. Her insights provide a rare perspective on the ethical challenges faced by the fertility industry and the personal growth resulting from such unique circumstances. Laura's story highlights the importance of transparency and the need for a collective voice in advocating for change. Her blend of humor and seriousness and tackling these issues is something we can all learn from. So let's pick up where we left off and continue our conversation with the inspiring Laura High. Laura, for people who are listening that might have family secrets uh, out there that they haven't shared with their children, what did that revelation do to your relationship with your father? Honestly, it changed nothing. We just went back to playing basketball. Good. I was hoping that was going to be your answer. We just went back to playing (laughs) basketball. We just went back to singing musicals in the car together. That's literally, it was just like, okay. Like nothing changed between my father and I. And I say this as somebody who's like, my dad and I have had rough moments in our relationship. Never, ever once in any of those moments between my father and I have I ever, ever once been like, you're not my real dad. Never have ever said that. (laughs) Never thought that. Never felt that. Like, no, that man's my father. That man... is even even if I ever had a relationship with the donor as well, my dad is my dad. That could never for me ever be undone. And especially as an adult looking back and realizing probably how scared my dad was in that car and knowing how much bravery it Mm. took for him to tell me that because I'm sure he was scared, had no idea how I was going to react. I appreciate his honesty And I appreciate the courage it took for him to tell me, especially in that day and age when there was no support for him or my mom. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. And uh, I will say, and everybody always asks me, what do my parents think of my advocacy? They're my two number one fans. They're so proud 
of everything I'm doing. My dad, especially with like all the political, because my dad's a political junkie and it's like all the political stuff I'm doing, he thinks is so cool. He's just like, who have you talked to? Who are you? What are you doing? And I've had like some interviews with politicians and he was like doing research on them. And he was like, Laura, I have some questions for you that you can ask them. Okay. Like this is what you got to do. He's so (laughs) sweet and supportive. What I would say to those parents is, I think actually with Carrie Washington came out recently, you know, because she came out recently as a sperm donor. And I think she said it the best. The secret's going to affect the relationship. And as much as yes. we want to pretend it didn't happen and bury it, you can't unring the bell. You can't unring donor conception. You mm-hmm. can't pretend it didn't happen. It did. It literally created your child. It created their body. And there's a couple of things with it is when you bury it up as a secret, one, there's going to be shame instantly, whether you are aware of it or not. And that child is going to carry around that shame. And this all could be very subconscious, Mm -hmm, but the fact that you are not like openly telling your child like, yes, this is how we created you. This is the magic in which we became a family. That infertility shame, that fear that you have you're going to pass that on to your kid. And I know that many parents are going to be like, no, I won't, no, 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 they have no idea. And I'm like, yes, they do. It will get passed on. And and it's not to like, you know, shame you or tell you, fuck you. It's just, there's so much going on that you may not even realize. And it's so common for donor-conceived people to have always said, I always knew something was up. I just had no idea. And Carrie Washington even said it herself. And she said, once the secret was revealed, she was like, we as a family experienced healing for the first time. And that secret was now gone. It no longer was weighing down on everybody. Right. And she also talked about how like she got to show her dad saying like, because you kept the secret from me, you made my love essentially. I- I'm probably misquoting her a little bit, but she was like, it, you made it t- to be like it was conditional love. Mm-hmm. Now that the secret is revealed, watch me unconditionally love you. Right. Yes. And that's what I would tell to the parents who have those family secrets is let the healing happen. It will Yes. It will happen. And I think it's important for parents to hear that if there's never a secret, such as in Kendall's case, Kendall was adopted, always knew he was adopted. Those are his parents. Even though they've been gone for decades, we talk about them on an almost daily basis. Those are his parents. And, you know, I've gotten to know him just through the stories. Now we've connected with his birth father and that's his birth father and great. But Betty and Rubel are his parents. And those are the cutest names, Betty and Rubel. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I want to have like children's books of like the adventures of Betty and Rubel. Forthcoming. (laughs) Yep. We'll co-write them. I think you should. Those are the cutest (laughs) names I've ever heard. I can never talk about them without being emotional and especially in context with this. You know, I feel so fortunate that I was... You know, I I didn't experience those lies, that secrecy, the potential stigma that's, you know, was especially back then, you know, I was born in 1970 and I'm from this tiny town where it kind of surprises me that people were as accepting as they were. And I think it was to your previous point, because my parents had this known history of infertility and Mm -hmm. 
I shouldn't say that. My mother had three miscarriages, but I think the fact that she was never going to be able to probably have a baby, it was just kind of common knowledge. And their friends were so supportive and they had friends who had adopted children and just, you know, wonderful stories where I got to be surrounded by kids that were also adopted. And, you know, so it, it just didn't have the same level of stigma that I know people that you're, were your parents' age were definitely dealing with. The, the stigma of infertility that affects, um, I think, a lot of adoptees and donor-conceived people, I do firmly believe is one of the reasons that the certainly the fertility industry has gotten away with so much unethical activity because of the stigma. No one talks about it. Mm -hmm. No one talks about the struggles, the emotional struggles or just the day to day. Oh, my God. My dad texted me um, <laughs> just as we're on this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. It's very sweet. <laughs> oh, he's asking me how my shows were at the cellar. Last oh. Night. But he's very sweet. He wanted again. He wanted to come be there for my first shows, but it was it was all sold out immediately. Oh, yeah. Um. But I do think that the fertility industry has gotten away with so much stuff because no one talks to each other. No one talks about, well, what did the doctors tell you? What have you been going through? What are they saying to you? And then once the child is born, like, are you experiencing this? What is happening? Is your kid getting sick or stuff like that? And I think that the biggest and easiest thing that we can do, that everybody can do right now to fight the fertility industry and to help get regulations passed is we need to let go of the stigma. There is nothing to be ashamed of that you've been going through fertility issues yeah. or that you need help with family building. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. So many people need help for family building and so many people struggle with fertility issues. It's unbelievably common. Mm -hmm. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm having fertility issues right now. Mm. I'm I'm almost through mine. But and my fertility issues actually are because of my donor. So, oh. you know, full circle. For <laughs> wow. Me. Yeah. It is ironic. I'm almost through it. Wow. I know. <clears throat> uh, I've been on medication now for a couple of years and I'm almost through it because I had a what we we basically discovered and I'm very lucky I discovered it very early on. But I have a benign tumor on my pituitary gland, which is located right at the base of my brain. And the pituitary gland controls your thyroid and your adrenals. Mm -hmm. We caught it before I needed surgery. So I only needed medication to shrink it. And now the tumor is gone and we're just regulating my hormones now. But essentially the tumor in place rendered me completely infertile. Mm -hmm. Now, the tumor is not genetic, but the hormonal imbalance that I had been experiencing since I was 13 absolutely seems to run on his side because I've talked to other siblings who had very similar problems wow. as well. So thanks, Papa, for that one. Right. Yeah. Thanks, doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just, again, just how significant these things are that, you know, children should know. <laughs> yeah. They just should. And I'm really lucky, but part of the reason that I was able to find it in time is because I knew I'm donor conceived. Mm -hmm. And it's always the first thing I tell my doctors, because always when you go to the doctor, they're like, do you have a family history of this, of this? And I always tell them, I literally was at the OBGYN a couple of weeks ago and they were asking me about my history. I'm like, I'm a sperm donor, baby. I don't have half of my medical history. I literally have zero. So on my mom's side, no signs of this, but I got no idea what's on the dad's. And they were just like, okay, great. And that's 
always been in the conversation. So when we were trying to figure out what was going on with my body years ago, because I could tell something was wrong, Mm. they ran extra tests. And I'm so grateful my primary care physician was like, I'm going to send you to the endocrinologist because they just kind of trusted me. And they were like, you know what? She doesn't know half her medical history. And the endocrinologist in a few tests was like, oh, there it is there. Mm. Yep. Wow your prolactin is skyrocketing. There it is. And then got me the MRI and got me on medication Mm. in time. And I'm very, very lucky. I'm very lucky that I could tell people I'm donor conceived. And just so many people my age don't have that luck Mm -hmm. where they don't even know. They don't even know to tell their doctor that they're donor conceived and they're giving their doctors a false medical history, which gets them sick, which um, gets donor conceived people killed. Mm -hmm. It gets their children in trouble as well. Yeah. Even though I don't have half my medical history, just the fact that I can say I'm donor conceived Mm -hmm. alone helps me out a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because they're not going to necessarily start, you know, pumping you full of stuff that's going to kill you. Exactly. And they know to run extra tests. And they know to go like, okay, we don't know. Let's give her all this extra shit just in case, just to be safe. And that has helped me out tremendously. Through the work that you do, have you had interactions with professionals in the fertility industry? (laughs) Yeah, they love me. (laughs) We have a great time. Well, so it's really interesting. I would say I have two different reactions. Either there are industry professionals who have been like the most supportive people and they're like, yes, yes. Thank you. And they're wonderful and they're so supportive. And they're like, I love what you're doing. Keep fucking doing it. Because them as physicians, as people who took an oath to do no harm, are sick and tired of how their industry treats people. And like they have seen it and they have felt so alone trying to battle this industry and trying taking care of their patients. So they are sick of this as well, but they're unfortunately very few and far between within this industry. So that is an interaction that I've had with a bunch of people within the industry. And that's always really, really lovely. And then there's also some industry people who are like, I don't really know about this. Can you tell me more? And then like, you know, when I start talking to them about laws and regulations, they're going, holy shit, I had no idea They were like, because we don't run our clinic that way. They're like, Mm -hmm. I had no idea it was this bad other places. I had no idea these stories existed. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. And so that has happened, which has been great. But then I have other industry professionals who um, are less receptive, maybe a little less gracious. I was told by an industry professional who was at, because we were protesting the ASRM convention. ASRM is the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. They basically create the guidelines for the clinics and cryobanks to follow in the United States. Now, understand I said guidelines, not regulations. Mm -hmm. None of the clinics and cryobanks have to follow the guidelines. And ASRM should be, in a perfect world, our biggest advocate. It should be the people, this should be the group standing up for donor-conceived rights. And they have not. They actively are very, like, they care about the clinics and cryobanks. They do not give a shit about donor-conceived rights. And they've made that very, very clear. They care about the bank accounts, and that's about Mm -hmm. it. And we've seen that from how we've been treated when the Colorado legislation first was proposed. And the Colorado legislation was the very first sibling cap proposed in the United States. So now Colorado has a 25 family limit. It's still way too high, but it's still something. And ASRM, when the legislation was first proposed, it publicly was like, we we don't support it. So in my opinion, if you have no problem putting down stuff, you also have the ability to publicly support And the fact that they just actively are not our biggest advocate and they are not 
actively trying to help us is very unfortunate. So we protested them to remind them that we are people, not products. You know, another year in a row, no donor conceived person spoke at a single panel. Hmm. And um, now some of the panels were about like IVF and that has nothing to do with donor conception. So I'm like, okay, maybe not a donor conceived person on any of the panels, but any of the panels that are about donor conception should have a donor conceived person on that panel. That is the ethical thing to do. And it is incumbent upon ASRM to be like, there was a panel that was all about like how donor conceived people are feeling about donor conception and they used AI to sift through all of, like all of YouTube to gather donor conceived opinions and I'm like why didn't you just get donor conceived people to come talk <laughs> exactly right. yeah that's really fucking weird yeah. and that should have been ASRM coming in going no you're going to get donor conceived people like invite donor conceived people onto that goddamn panel there was a panel i believe about early disclosure a donor-conceived person should have been on that one. A few donor-conceived people should have been on it. There should have been a donor-conceived person who did get early disclosure, and there should have been a, a donor-conceived person who who got late disclosure to talk about the experiences of both. And the fact that ASRM is not putting its foot down and ensuring that our voices are heard is ridiculous. And I always say it is not upon you to give us, to grant us a seat at the table. We are the table. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a conversation about us without us. It is absolutely unethical and you should be actively making room and you should be doing that work. And they are just actively not. So we protested them to basically go full circle back to what you initially asked was I was directly told by an industry professional who was at ASRM. They were like, just like letting you know, the industry, like people at the convention really saw the protest as like kind of a negative. (laughs) Wow. And I was like. Bitch, it's a fucking protest. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it's good. in the name. That means I yeah. did my job. Exactly. And I was like, and she said this as a way, like, and she was trying to tell me that, like, I'm doing advocacy wrong. And she's telling me, like, you need to do advocacy better in a way that's, like, more, like, industry palatable. And I'm like. I'm not here to play. And, and I'm just you. sitting there going, like, ma'am, in the history of protests, when has the person ever being protested be like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> I love the aesthetic. Keep them outside. This looks great. <laughs> oh my God, send them Gatorade. <laughs> like, what are you on, ma'am? Like, it just was like, wow. it baffled me to be like, I get it. You don't like us, but do you hear yourself? Exactly. Like, this is delusional. Yeah. You should have said, oh, you're right. I'll leave right now. Like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Were we a bother? I am so sorry. You guys think this is a negative? I thought we were just having fun. Exactly. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, it really just was this like, lady, give me a fucking break. Right. So I also get a lot of that as well. Mm. And we get a lot of a lot of the reactions we get is like, oh, that's just angry DCP. DCP means donor conceived people. And that's a very just gaslighting dismissive term. We get a lot like, oh, you're just angry. And it's like, yeah, I'm angry. That's actually the very proper emotion when we find out our mothers were sexually assaulted by these doctors and legally there's nothing we can do. And you guys aren't doing shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, anger is 100% the appropriate emotion. The fact that I find out that like I'm one of 100 donor-conceived siblings and all of my siblings are sick as hell because there was a falsified medical history. Yeah, I'm fucking angry. Or I've been in the hospital, or as one donor-conceived person I know, had 13 surgeries by the time they were 15 years old because of a falsified medical history. Hmm. And in her words, she was medically tortured. Wow. Yeah. 
anger is the proper emotion. And this is what I always say. It's like, I'm sorry that like we're not, you know, more consumable. We're not sweet. And we're just going like, oh, my God, thank you so much for letting us die. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this opportunity to be killed by you. Thank you. I'm sorry that we're not nicer about it, but anger is the right term. And the fact that the industry has continually treated us like mouse pads and not like sentient human beings has got to stop. Mm-hmm. It's got to stop. And and it's not just donor conceived people. The fact that donors are commodified as well. The fact that recipient parents are lied to the amount of recipient parents I have spoken to. And it's so heartbreaking to hear like I, you know, they have three, four year olds and they're like, oh my God. And they, they're sort of like realizing what happened and they're going like, our kid is sick. They've had so many problems and they're like we had no idea we had no idea what was going on they're like i feel horrible and awful i don't know what to do and it's just this you can hear that just pain in their voice and then when you talk to recipient parents who lost their donor conceived child because of just the negligence of the fertility industry it's like you just you just don't forget those conversations and you hear the pain and the mourning in their voice and they know it didn't have to be this way mm-hmm. this could have so easily been avoided mm-hmm. so why isn't there more legislation um i think a lot of it is donor conception education is so brand new we're just starting and i think a lot of it just has to be that we're just telling people why they should care But there is some legislation on the table right now. Like right now, we're trying to get H.R. 451 passed, which is the uh, federal fertility fraud legislation, which would criminalize a doctor switching out the chosen donor gametes for their own or any others that they feel like. So that is one. And you can call your local legislature now and say, like, please support H.R. 451. The bill is bipartisan. It's got like a ton of co-sponsors. It's just stuck in the Judiciary Committee right now. And we need it to get a date on the calendar to vote on. So that's one. We also have the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act trying to get passed in New York State. This would require clinics and cryobanks to verify the medical information that a donor hands in. So again, groundbreaking. So if you live in New York State or you have family or friends in New York State, tell them to call your local legislature and be like, we desperately need to get the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act passed. There are more states who are in process of also passing their own fertility fraud legislation as we wait for the federal fertility fraud legislation. Those states, it's going to become a little bit more public soon. So I'm going to wait for those stories to come out. But I will say just be on the lookout. More stories are coming out. Yeah, there is legislation that is moving and grooving. And if you want to find out more ways to support legislation as it unfolds, you can follow the United States Donor Conceived Council, USDCC, on Instagram. It is a group of donor conceived people that literally write regulations and literally negotiate with the industry. If you're particularly interested in fertility fraud legislation, you can follow Eve Wiley on Instagram. She is the one who spearheaded the fertility fraud legislation. You can also follow Jacoba Ballard, who was like the head narrator for the documentary Our Father, which was about Dr. Klein on Netflix, who switched out the chosen sperm for his own and now over 100 patients. So there is legislation coming. But I think right now the way that we get legislation happening is we need to get more donor conceived stories out there. We need recipient parents, donors like Dylan and donor conceived people actively coming forward and telling their story and showing this is what happened to me. This was the lies that we were told because these stories are so horrific. It actually doesn't take much to get 
these legislatures to really start to listen. I mean, fertility fraud is comically awful. And the fact that doctors can actively get away with fertility fraud because the laws are just not tight enough is just it's absurd Mm -hmm. because this should be an easy slam dunk. These doctors should go to fucking jail immediately Mm -hmm. for doing that. There is legislation and it is slowly coming and trickling out and it's coming out faster and faster as more donor conceived people are finding their voice and speaking their truth. And that was a thing that actually really happened at the protest, which was really magical to see was there were donor conceived people supporting each other and coming forward for the very first time in a very public way, talking about what happened to them. Well, thank you for sharing those resources, because as you said, the more the conversation explodes, Mm -hmm. then the more things are going to start to change. Absolutely. And I want to make it clear to like every parent who's um, listening to it or every intended parent, it is not my goal. It's not the USDCC's goal. It's not Jacoba Ballard's. It's not Eve Wiley's. Like none of any of these resources that I just gave you, no one is trying to stop donor conception. Right. No one is actively trying. Like, I think donor conception is in a perfect ethical world, a wonderful way to start a family. It's a great resource if you need fertility, if you're having infertility problems, if you need assistance with family building. I want you to have your family. I want that for you. But I want it to be done in a a way that is safe and ethical for all parties involved, especially the donor conceived person. So I always want to make that really clear that none of the advocates that I work with are trying to stop donor conception. We're just literally trying to make it safe and ethical for you and your child. Right. And I think what we're talking about is literally pennies on the dollar to do things the right way. You know, it's just, again, with so many industries, the greed is the greed is there. It's like, oh, I couldn't possibly give up a nickel, you know? Well, and a great way to explain. So this is a multi-billion dollar industry. And a great way to explain it is like, let's use Dylan's story. So Dylan is a donor who donated at Zytex and he donated for multiple years. And he got paid $100, $150 per donation. And he, I believe he he made like $20,000-ish dollars. We talked about it like on my podcast, but it was about $20,000-ish dollars. And now one of the things to remember though is he got paid per donation. So every time he would come in and make a deposit. Now, when you are a sperm donor, though, one deposit does not equate to one sellable vial. They take that one deposit and they split it up into multiple sellable vials. It might be as little as three. It might be as big as 19. 19 is the most we've ever heard of. And Dylan's vials went from $1,000 to $2,000 each per vial. So Dylan and I did the math together on like how much he donated per week. And we sort of we tried to like lowball it and be like, let's say they only broke it up into four vials. And we we played it very conservatively. But like we did the math. The cryobank allegedly made a million dollars off of just Dylan. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Just off of Dylan alone, a million dollars. And that's just off of the vials. Uh, m- most clinics and cryobanks charge extra. If you want a full medical history that was not verified, you have to pay extra for that. If you want a picture of the donor, you pay extra. You want to see their handwriting, hear their voice, you're going to pay extra. Now, what happens if you want to have siblings? Okay, then you have to buy more vials. Now you have to pay for storage at the cryobank. So you're paying for storage fees for all that sperm. They nickel and dime these recipient parents. So many recipient parents end up having to take a second mortgage in order to pay for this. So you're right. It, it, it's an obscene amount of money. So the fact that like Dylan made about $20,000 and this cryobank allegedly makes, made a million dollars off of just him. And they have way more donors than that. 
right. is absurd. And of course, these cryobanks and clinics have overhead. They absolutely have overhead. But give me a fucking break. Yep. Give me an absolute break. That is absurd. And at a certain point, it's like we have to keep things ethical. Like, I'm so sorry, doctors. You're not going to be able to buy that second yacht. Right. We have to make sure the sibling pod is under 20. So sorry. Which is still, still such a moneymaker, even with the Colorado regulation. You know, if you have 25 family possibilities, you know, for a single donor, that alone. That still could be 50 kids. Exactly. And that alone is still astronomical as far as what the cryobank is making. Yeah, absolutely. It's just bizarre to me that we, you know, we just have, to your point, we have to educate the general population to say, you know, A, this is what these companies are making. Mm-hmm. B, you know, it's unethical across the board. And, and I, I might just be, a, 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 you know, I, I still try and, and stay very optimistic. And I've talked to so many recipient parents and I, the majority of recipient parents genuinely want what's best for their kids. They really, really do. And I really just would encourage intended recipient parents to be like, I know you want your kid to be healthy. I know you want your kid to be safe. I know you want your kid to be happy. So help us fight for these regulations now because before you get pregnant is when you have the most power in this industry. Start demanding change now because they care about your pocketbook. That's what they care about. They want your money. So you have to wield that power now because once you get pregnant, they don't give a fucking shit. They don't care. And they've made that very clear. There are a lot of recipient parents who I've spoken to who are like, my heart has broken. I thought this place cared about me. Apparently Mm. not. And you have to wield that power now. So what I would do is like, again, little things that you can do that can make a big difference. I would call your clinic and cryobank and ask them, have you supported HR 451? Have you supported the fertility fraud legislation? And here's the thing. I can tell you right now, not a single clinic or cryobank has support. Okay, only one bank has supported the fertility fraud legislation, and that's Fairfax. That's the only bank that has. Now, Fairfax still has a lot of accountability they need to take in terms of like crap they've done, but mm. I will give it to them there. They're the only bank that has actively supported the fertility fraud legislation. So with that, you go to every single other bank, every single other clinic and go, I will not use you until you publicly support the fertility fraud legislation. Use it like be like you need to send in a letter and then I would use you or ask them like, do you openly support a sibling cap? Mm -hmm. Ask them saying like, what are you doing to support donor conceived people like actively, actively wield that and be very curt and very just like, no, then I will not use you. I only support clinics and cryobanks that are actively supporting donor conceived people. Well, and you don't have to necessarily be somebody who's looking to have a child through a, a sperm bank to do that. You can call and ask these questions. Anybody can just call and ask these questions. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go have some fun. <laughs> like, you got a free free afternoon on a Sunday? Go exactly. knock it out. Go have some fun. Make some phone calls. Oh, my God. Go have a good time. But, yeah, it, it's there. But, yeah, that. But those are ways that you can actively start doing some small changes that actually make a big impact. Because the more that we actively demand the industry to, cha- to change, the more they will. Because, again, they care about money and they're going to be like, OK, how do we make more money? Oh, shit, we got to do all this other crap. All right. That's the only way. Then, And that's how we've been able to like get certain things 
I would say, a little bit more normalized within the industry. Yes, absolutely. Well, we really, really appreciate what you're doing because, you know, we're talking about very serious subject matter here, but I feel like humor has a place in every conversation. You know, I think it makes more palatable for people. It breaks the ice a little bit. And, you know, so thank you for what you're doing and, you know, keep on wearing that sperm costume. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. It really makes a big difference. The fact that people are willing to just listen and hear us out and go like, yeah, that is fucked up. We can change it. There are so many complicated problems in this world. This one's really, we can fix this one. Yeah, We really can. This is one we can do. And it will make a huge impact on so many different communities in such a positive way. And I genuinely believe in, I'm still trying to stay optimistic and believe in the goodness of people and, and be like, I know that the majority of intended recipient parents genuinely want what's best. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully there's definitely some crossover for our different audiences because we talk about surrogacy, we talk about donor conception, we talk about adoption, and I'm sure there are people who are tuning in because they are interested in that specific issue. But really, this is just a big community. We're all mm-hmm. in this community together, you know, and yeah, yeah. No, we're all in this together and it all feeds into one another, like the whole baby business, whether it is surrogacy or adoption or anything, it all plays in and it all feeds off of each other. And I do believe that we are on the path to getting reproductive help into a place that is much more ethical for all parties involved. I do believe that we are entering a phase where we're, we're starting to go down that right path, mm-hmm. as it should be. And that's incredible. And I know it's going to be in 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to be in a completely different place. And it is because I do think that we're all working together and realizing how much we all have in common within that Venn diagram, especially between donor-conceived people and adoptees. There's so many similarities and empathy that we share like I have felt like some of the most incredible support from like my fellow adoptee advocates have been like some of our most fiercest supporters because there's just so much that we understand about each other even Mm -hmm. if we don't have like exact similar experiences there's just like I get you boo right Right. absolutely yeah well again thank you so much for what you're doing and, and thank you for you know sharing your story on the podcast thank you for having me and have a delightful day thank you you too We thank you for joining us on this insightful journey. Laura's story is a beacon for anyone grappling with similar issues, reminding us that understanding and healing often begin with an open conversation and a willingness to listen. We encourage you to engage with the donor conception stories, support advocacy groups, and stay informed about this complex topic. Thank you all for joining us on this journey with Laura. Remember, change begins with awareness, and each of us has the power to make a difference. 